This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, it is an episode of Enemies. My name is Lisa Traeger. I'm your host. I'm very thrilled with today's episode. Um, We have a therapist, yes, and we have an author. Um, I found her on Instagram. I feel like Instagram knew what was up. The book is called How to Break Up with Your Friends. Her name is Erin Falconer. Um, I I did listen to the audiobook. I don't consider it reading, but it was really informative. I took a lot of notes. I was relating to things. Um, Yeah, I was very sorry. I like took a moment if you felt it to burp but then I didn't want to acknowledge it and keep going but obviously I was just like I did just burp so here we are um I am munching on some sour cream and onion chips ratatouille is on on mute yes thank you so much um yeah we had a really fun time talking I did feel like she probably wanted to go sooner than I wanted to let her go I have wanted to discuss a lot um, but yeah, we chit-chatted, we learned a lot. You know, this is the whole point of the podcast is like enemies, friends, toxic friends, how to break up with your friends. I think you're going to enjoy it if you've enjoyed this podcast. If you're a new listener, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it too. Um, who is my enemy right now? This hotel I'm staying at. Why is there only one towel? You don't think that's, you think, you think that's okay. You think it's okay to have one towel? I have hair too. I need two towels. Like a minimum, I, it's shocking to me um but that is not um that serious of a problem of course um listen I this is gonna be a short intro I don't know what you want from me this is it I'm excited have a listen enjoy enjoy and yeah is it crazy I don't have more to say is that not in my character am I trying to like reach the depths of my brain to have like a little anecdote a little fun thing a little "Mm, isn't this nice but I don't know what to tell you it is what it is oh also send a bunch of voicemails with the holidays like I'm sure you have holiday questions to answer and um yeah party questions so please call on in the numbers in the show notes um I am not pulling it up I can only do so much I am one person um actually there's a whole team I have a team of three women that help me and I still just cannot remember this phone number I really I should remember it by now the amount of times I've said it um but yeah let's do holiday things and then maybe we'll have a holiday person we could talk about a holiday etiquette you know what I mean um so call on in enjoy this episode thank you for listening Erin so thrilled that you are here thanks for having me I don't know how it came up on my Instagram, but I saw your book, How to Break Up with Your Friends. I've been obsessed with this topic. We've had a friendship, female friendship coach on here. We talk about friendship so much. Now, COVID is what springboarded the book or what? Well, you know what's funny is I actually sold this title three weeks before uh, we got put, you know, we went into national quarantine. So... I had this whole, you know, how the book came about is a whole story in and of itself, but I put together this idea, ended up selling it, and I thought it was an important topic then. Uh, There's no way I could have predicted that, you know, three weeks later, we'd all be kind of ripped into these micro bubbles and the first kind of category of person to be you know, out of our lives were our friends. And so, you know, in the way we were used to hanging out with them. And so, um, 
yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really good timing. <laughs> well, then what sparked it beforehand? Like what I was was happening? Yeah. So I spent I my first book came out, which is called How to Get Shit Done. Why women need to stop doing everything so they can achieve anything. And that is very rooted in like the female empowerment, female productivity space, like reevaluating what true productivity is. And so I was looking to do a follow-up to that. And, you know, for six or seven months, I went down like just dead end after dead end and um, was getting super frustrated, as was my agent. And I finally one morning woke up at like 6 a.m half awake half asleep with this phrase how to break up with your friends just like sitting in my brain and I was like what is this about I tried to go back to sleep couldn't really and over the course of the next couple days it just kept coming just kept coming back up and didn't do anything with it uh until I was sitting waiting to meet one of my very good friends who outwardly I would call say, you know, was one of my BFFs, best friends, like, you know, a ride or die kind of situation. And I was so irritated because she was late yet again. And I, but I was like really irritated. And when I started to think about it, I was like, this feels disproportionate, like for the violation, like the punishment doesn't, because I was getting so mad and I was so, I was sitting there and I started to look at the friendship, like, why are you so mad about this? You know? And what I kind of discovered was that, again, though outwardly, I think we both would have described each other as best friends. When I looked at the landscape of our friendship, there'd actually been this big kind of chasm that had grown between us without either one of us really noticing it, or at least for sure, me not noticing it. And I was like, huh, this is really strange. And so then I started to like look at a couple of the other friendships, really close friendships in my life. And I had similar findings, like not necessarily that I was frustrated in all of them, but like the way I would define them did not match what was actually happening going on, you know, with the relationship. And so I had this big epiphany. I was like, I cannot believe this is the first time I'm doing this, right? Like we, we are a society that is obsessed with information about ourselves. We know every, you know, calorie or gram of protein we're eating. We wear stupid watches that tell us every step we're taking. Marie Kondo has us holding up chairs and sweaters and say, do they bring joy? And yet like this category of relationship friendships, we don't audit at all. We just kind of like collect them. Like you, like your friend, Okay, you're yeah, friends for like until some big drama happens and then like you're dead to me. But you know, until then it's like just collecting all of these things without really having any critical eyes on them. And so yeah, that was like the the, the genesis of of the book where I was like, I wonder I wonder if they're if this is worth exploring. And and then as I just got deeper and deeper and I was like, Well, why don't we? Like, why don't we like do the work on these relationships? They're kinda like the relationships that we think are nice to have and should give, 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 but don't really require a lot of work or maintenance or, you know, and so I felt there was like a really missed opportunity there for our own mental health and our own like, you know, ability to be seen and supported in the way we want because we're just kind of dialing these relationships in. Yeah. While you were talking, I was thinking like, I think, a big reason it's not seen as important is because especially for women, the pursuit of like a romantic relationships, number one, and then you get your boyfriend or girlfriend and then it's like, peace out to your friends. And that's, that's kind of it. And like, 
having drama in your friendships is a reflection of you or something. So you try to be like, oh, no, everything's good. But then I'm not going to put any work into it because I'd rather put work into this romantic thing. Right. Exactly. And talk obsessively about my romantic relationships, like the, the things that are thriving or failing or whatever. It's like but when and when I started to look at like, why is this? Um you know, I got, I'm a therapist also, and I kind of looked at like a traditional, you know, in the world of traditional therapy, there's individual therapy, there's couples therapy, there's family therapy, but there's no such thing as friendship therapy. And, you know, while I'm not obviously advocating that you, everybody grab their friend and go out and get a therapist, what that means to me is that there's no, like, collectively agreed upon language out there in the zeitgeist for for navigating conflict in these relationships like we don't really know what to say or do it feels like extra if we're constantly talking about the relationship the friendship right which but in a but in a romantic relationship people are constantly talking about their feelings and their needs and like blah blah you know Um, And so it also means like there's no kind of blueprint for like how to get into a new friendship and no blueprint for how to get out of an existing friendship um, or even what like a really good friendship is supposed to look like. And so the idea behind the book was really to create that language, to help create that language so it doesn't feel so weird um, or abnormal, you know, when you start to like self-advocate in these relationships or draw boundaries or just communicate in a real meaningful way, you know? Well, that was a big issue for me. And I love that you touched on this in your book was like a lot of our behaviors and things are created in childhood or watching your parents. My parents had no friends and they talked shit about everyone. And then as a kid, I really had a hard time figuring things out. And so now into my thirties is when I got rid of a few toxic friends. I'm able to communicate more. I'm not holding and festering things and then flipping out and then ending out of nothing. And it is, yeah. And it's like, if you had a more solid friend group as a kid, like maybe I would have learned all these things that I had to unfortunately lose some friends in my twenties and fuck up and be a bad friend. And yeah, well, I think that's the thing. I feel like you, you, yeah, I feel like everybody along the way is going to like fuck up because you're just, you're, you're also on your own self discovery. You're not sure who you are. And so you're making friend choices that don't necessarily reflect that right and so you're gonna be like oh I like this person but then you know cut to three years later and it's like oh god I hate this person how did I get how did I get here right and it's like well you changed fundamentally as a person you just weren't paying attention to like the relationships that were like supporting you along your journey right you just holding on to like clothes that no longer fit you right (laughs) trying to put them on and be like does this look good it's like no (laughs) looks terrible yeah or like you mentioned how like um you like people think it's a best friend you're like oh yeah we're best friends but internally you're like I hate this fucking person we barely see each other and they bring me no joy but like outwardly everyone thinks we're best friends which is such an energy suck right and we don't we don't know it because again it's it's so rarely like this big betrayal that come from a friend it's like so rarely oh she slept with my partner or she took my job it's much more often death by a thousand cuts you know so it's like you it's it feels like well how do I get out of this nothing really bad has happened but yet 
every single time you see them, you feel just a little more depleted and a little more irritated and a little more whatever. And that, if you look at that in one relationship, that can take quite a bit of your energy. But if you look at like, that's what's kind of happening generally in your life with these friendships, that takes a lot of energy out of you. And again, you don't feel it like one big suck, but it is like collectively, cumulatively, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. And it's the thing if someone is a uh, you meant like um, toxic or whatnot, the normal person thinks they could fix the nutty person. And so that's even more energy trying to like feel like you can fix it. And um, like you I keep saying like in the book, but yeah, like m minimizing what your friend did that's annoying and max like maybe I'm being too much. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. And you're constantly trying to like appease a situation with no joy or rest in your being. Totally. Absolutely. And that's something that when you start to pay attention to it, and as you know, when I wrote in the book, like the very first thing I say to do is take a piece of paper and a pen and write down everybody in your inner circle or like inner to like, you know, kind of middle ring of friends and just watch your gut reaction as you see that person's name appear in front of you. There's information there, very good information. And what happens normally is like, what happened when I did is I write down somebody's name and I go, ugh, right? And it's just like, it's the kind of thing you just skip over normally. Like if you see their name on a call display and you go, ugh, and then you get onto the, you either answer the phone or you don't or whatever, but you kind of, but that information is so good. If you see that person's name on your call display on a piece of paper and your gut reaction is like an eye roll and like a deep sigh, this is something that needs your attention, right? And then there'll be those people that you, that, you know, that you see their name on your call display, you write down and you go, oh, you, your, your heart just kind of goes, oh, I love her. Well, I also like the idea of like, you don't owe anyone your whole life of friendship. Like you're allowed to kind of be like, you know what? This isn't really happening and you don't need a big blow up. It's just like, I got like two of really close what I thought was important, huge friendships in my life in the past couple of years. Those two people are not in my life anymore. And it's wild how little I miss them. Like my life is become, obviously I'm not like a psycho. So there's moments from like, oh, I wish that or whatever, like something reminds me of a person. But overall, like in the day to day, my life is just so much better because in both those friendships, um, I was not able to be myself. I was not seen as myself. I was not heard as myself. I had to walk on eggshells. I couldn't be honest. Um, and without those things, like I thought I'd be more lonely and sad, but it was actually so freeing. And it made me like myself more like it kind of like flipped where I just was like, oh, I don't need these people like I thought I needed them. Absolutely. And and not only that, you open up space, you know, for the right person to come in when you're busy treading water with all of these mediocre or less like worse than mediocre relationships. There's no capacity to bring like new blood in right because you're busy like managing these kind of crappy relationships yeah but not only that but it made me appreciate and value the ride or dies as you say you know like all of a sudden I was like oh yeah why am I wasting my time right here right now when I have great deep friendships that I can just be grateful for them instead exactly exactly and it really it's just the awareness piece right it's how do I feel in this relationship and asking yourself that and then watching how, and I think, you know, somebody, not somebody, a lot of people say to me, like, how do you know, like, w what's the definition for you of a toxic 
friendship and I'm like I loved your list I loved your list of toxic traits but what I loved the most too is afterwards you're like but these people are fun they're charming they're cool and you might be trapped and it's okay um but you gotta let them go yeah you gotta let them go exactly well they are that's the thing like the real toxic person is always the most beguiling they're the one that feels like the most kind of at least up front, like the ones that kind of feel the most exciting and like, oh, she's always doing something cool. And meanwhile, cool translates into crazy and then crazy translates like, you know, like and then you're getting taken farther and farther off what your kind of core center of being is. Right. And then you feel like that's where you start to feel like disassociating from yourself and not like rooted and grounded in, in, in things that like make you feel whole. You're like, feel like you're not your authentic self, which is exhausting. Yeah. And it's like, I liked the idea of you have to, the more, you know, yourself, the more yeah good friendships you have. So when I look at those friendships that I made that were like unhinged or whatnot, I was definitely not in a grounded place at all. And I wanted to sit and get stoned all day and talk shit about everybody. And I wanted to be like angry and high. And then all, and then you step out of it and you're like, Jesus Christ. Well, one thing that you mentioned totally happened to me where there was someone that was on an emotional high constantly, like always fighting, always pissed would take hours of my night. And then the next morning like nothing happened and then one time I finally was like hey girl you know you were really upset last night and it's like nothing happened like I think you should talk to somebody like I can't really handle this and she went oh you don't like when your friends are happy is that it like you're just mad that I'm doing better and that's when it clicked we were in a hotel room and it clicked and I was like oh, this person's crazy. I can't be with this person anymore. Like, of course, that's not what I mean. But you've wasted hours of my night on this fun trip dealing with you crying hysterically. And now it's like nothing happened. It's so yeah. I mean, as you mentioned in the book, I had the exact same thing where I'd be like coming in in this hero complex. Like I was the person that this friend would come to like in her life was always you know, some, like she'd been evicted from her apartment. Her dog needed $12,000 surgery. Her, you know, like some crazy, like her boss did. And I'd be the person that would, she would call and I'd be like there for her. You know what I mean? And like problem solving and troubleshooting, talking for hours. And then the next morning, every time I'd like text to be like, Hey girl, like, how are you feeling this morning? She'd be like, great. Like all good. What's up? How are you? And I'm like, wait, I'm so wait literally I was walking you off a ledge last night for the 12,000th time and it's like nothing even happened and meanwhile my mind is like reeling like how can I help this person and that the thing is so that's like you've absolutely gotta like get that situation out of your life but as I say it's also a missed opportunity if you just say that person's toxic bye-bye what you have to look at is why was I in this for so long what in me needed to be so accommodating like for me in that situation it was just a total like hero god complex like nobody else can save that her it's only me and it's like building up my own ego like you know and again I had all the good intentions in the world you know but the truth is I just dismissed that as she's crazy but when I look back on it all these years later when I was writing the book I was like but you know what she was only calling me she wasn't calling anybody else. Why? I was allowing this to happen. You know what I mean? She's crazy. She was legit crazy, 
but I was giving her oxygen around it, you know? And so you got to also take some responsibility, again, not blaming the victim here, but you do have to say what in me allowed this to continue for so long. And like you just said, like you weren't in a great place when the foundation of that relationship and no surprise, you know, the wheels started to come off. No, my therapist said that to me. It was like I was going through a breakup as this friend breakup was happening. And then she said that she goes, if they're using you, you're using them, too. So, like, you need to figure it out. And that was like too. that was that sucked because then it's like all of a sudden I saw patterns for decades and then it made me sad for my younger self like that. I felt the need to be friends with people who truly like did not care to see me as a whole person. Cause another thing that really um, resonated with me about the toxic friends is people who can't be happy for you. Oh yeah. And that was one of the big friendships I ended and nothing else was toxic. Like you can have toxic traits and not be this giant toxic person. Like that, that word is super trendy right now, but it is this thing where like good things would happen and I wouldn't want to call her. And that finally I shared good news at dinner and she reacted like, like vicious oh vicious work vicious oh man diminishing like making fun of me making me feel stupid about something and it was like oh this is never gonna change you will never be happy for me or others yeah and you know what there's that's totally true and there's even another category of that where like on the surface a friend can be such a good friend like if you, you know, she's always there for you when you're down and out, like when something, a breakup or you lose your job or whatever, but then she wants to spend too much time there. Like every time she's calling, she's like, how are you feeling? Oh my God, that must be terrible. And it's actually like, it comes off as like empathetic, but really, and a lot of times a person doesn't even know what they're doing. It's all subconscious. Really, they are loving or connecting with the fact that you're in a miserable place, right? And they never spend that time celebrating you. It's never like, man, you know, calling you the next day after an accomplishment being like, man, I was just thinking about it last night. Man, you must have woken up this morning and felt so good. Like they're never doing the two, three, four, fifth, tenth step around a, a something successful. But they could talk about you to you about your misery for six weeks, you know what I mean? Or six months, however you'll let them. And so again, that's a really tricky one because it feels like, oh, wow, this person's really here for me, but are they really here for you? Cause at a certain point, a person that's really there for you is also going to demand that you step into your power and say, now it's now and help you get out of whatever you're in, you know, like, um, not just sit down there with you. I mean, it depends on the degree of you know, how, what's how, da- how down, da- yeah, what's going on. But like generally like, well, no, if someone, I, I, I can't think of someone in my life that that's recently happened, but I do have someone in my life who recently, like we both were perpetually single forever and has recently found love. And now every time she sees me, it's very much like, so are you dating? Did you find someone? Is it this? And it's like, that was never part of our friendship. We actually never talked about that. And so now that she has um, someone that she's living with, she, she wants to bring it up to me all the time. And I'm just like, I don't know if, I'm not bringing it up to you. Why are you so concerned with it? And so I was suspicious. I'm like, are you loving that you have this thing over me or something like that? Like I didn't, um, but it could be 
I don't know. I, I trust my senses sometimes because even when I'm in the toxic bad ones, like I know it, I see it. I feel it in my body. Like you're saying, it's like you feel uncomfortable or when you can't say what you want or you don't, you're not, you don't feel free to be yourself. Like you feel that. And then, like you said, you have to figure out why you're in that position. But like, I don't think I'm ever like, oh, I guess I never realized. Like, I feel like I know what I'm getting myself into. But with the girl that you were talking about, like, who's always late, where do you find the difference between like accepting that that's a part of her versus like you're because one of my biggest pet peeves is people being like, if you're late, you're disrespecting me. And in my head, I'm like, this has nothing to do with you. But when do you yeah, when do you find like this is a part of them versus this is really an issue? Yeah. So again, yeah, that's it's a really good point. Right. So the first thing you've got to realize is that not nobody can be everything to you right only you can be everything to you and so I think what we do a lot of the times is we have all these friends and like all these quote-unquote best friends and that we think that they should be everything like they you know they should be the person you can call for career advice or love you know relationship advice or you know just always there for you and the truth is that that's not really realistic. Ideally, you'd have one or two of those people that are just kind of like, they get you on, you know, every level and are there for you as much as humanly possible. But we have to recognize that, like, we're all imperfect people. And so it's really good if somebody has, like, one or two super great things that they're offering for the relationship and and you and vice versa, obviously. But And you have a very clear understanding of that's what I'm going to this person for. That's what I'm going to this relationship for. So if, you ha- if it's that kind of case where it's like, you know, so-and-so is always late, that's just part of her MO, you can kind of set your clock by it. So show up half an hour late because she won't be there yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, then that's a decision you have to make, right? If that, if her, if, if, if you don't need her to show up for you in that way, because she's showing up for you in A, B, and C way, and you've kind of clearly identified that in your head, it takes a lot of the sting off of her being late, right? That's just kind of her personality profile, right? Or how she operates profile. You also have to look into yourself and say, is this something that's non-negotiable for me? Like, is, is this something that's, if this is something that's just so irritating to me every single time, then maybe this is not the right person for you, right? And it's not even about her, it's about you. It's like, I just can't, I get so crazy when people are late. And by the way, in that situation, the lateness was just the thing that was like, drew my attention to the fact that I was unhappy. There was a lot of other stuff going on. So it wasn't just about the lateness, It, but that was like the catalyst for me kind of realizing it. Um, so again, it's just really understanding what's the value proposition of this person, this relationship, and what are my needs? It, it, it Well, it also seemed like the person, because you talked about this late person in the book, they were not willing to acknowledge. They were they, There was like a lot of excuses, because I feel like it's also different if it's like, I'm always late, that's what it is, you know me, and that's that, versus like, well, no, it was this and that, and you're being like, you know, so that's a big p- part, too. Like, Yeah, that's what was also very frustrating to me, because the per- that she would show up late, like, you know, 30 minutes late, and then the next 10 minutes would be the story of why she's late. So now, for 40 minutes, I've been either waiting or hearing about 
this like concocted story of why we're late. So it's like 45 minutes until we actually get to like start to, to talk, you know what I mean? Which is super. And it's bullshit. And it's bullshit. And it's like, we, we both live in LA. I know how hard it is to get everywhere. And of course in LA, because it's LA, one one out of every five times something will happen that's just totally out of your control like there's an accident on a freeway and it's like you couldn't have predicted that you know what I mean but barring that outlier liar situation I also live in Los Angeles so I know how long it takes to get places I know how I had to do the same mental math to get here that you did you know what I mean so like if time after time after time you're coming with a big story I'm just not buying it yeah, because I'm not consistent. Sometimes I'm really on time, even a few minutes early, and I need that. And then sometimes I truly, like, I'll just lay in my towel for an hour, and there's no reason at all. And so I don't believe the excuses. <laughs> I really appreciate that version, the, the real version of the truth. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just lied down in my towel and the next thing I know, it was like, I was late. <laughs> like, I don't know what, because that's real. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's there. I do a joke about this, but it's like, um, I like the rush of being late. Like that's something like there, you get some sort of, I don't know if it's a high, but there's like a stress and you get addicted to the stress or something. It's true. It is. It's, it's totally true. That's why me, I'm like normally like a couple minutes early because I, that stress of like getting in the car and then looking at ways and being like, how many minutes to get here? You know what I mean? And then I'm like, they're taking me across like six line, you know, streets and I have to make a left like in rush hour. And I'm like, my panic level is like, I'm going to get killed trying to get here and I'll still be 20 minutes late. Like, you know, that I can't, I got enough stress. I don't need that. I don't need that. Well, I had so we met for dinner a few nights ago. I don't even know a group of friends, but there's one person who's perpetually late and it was just like, oh, we'll see her when we see her. And then when she was only 10 minutes late, it was kind of like a party. We we're like, oh, my God, you're here. Like, we couldn't believe it. Um, but I would just never expect her to be on time. Right. <laughs> this is my weakness. Maybe not. But. You know, we talk about gossip, like bringing people together and it is social currency and intimacy, but then it's like talking shit and gossip is also a big red flag and it is a toxic trait and that's my toxic trait. Um, and what I always hate is like, if I'm talking about someone, then, you know, I'm talking about you and I want to be more trustworthy. So I want to make sure I'm not, but it's like the center of most of my friendships is like talking shit. And talking shit about other people and gossiping and yeah is there a line with that is there good gossip like what what is because we're all doing it right for sure and 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 here's the thing like talking like venting you know kind of talking shit as the as long as it's not like really hurtful you know but kind of like in a gossipy like is okay it just can't be the default setting of the friendship because then it's like rooted in negativity right like that's like the true north of the friendship like so that's kind of hard you, you want it to be ultimate at least balanced right um but I think also there's like varying degrees of gossip like sometimes a conversation can feel gossipy because you're like oh my god did you hear that you know so and so broke up with so and so and oh my god she must be just so upset and like and like that in theory is gossip because she's not there and you two and you you two or you three or however many people are talking about it but that's not necessarily delighting in it i feel like that's like oh shit this thing happened we know about it like 
we now we're talking about it and maybe we shouldn't be because she's not there but she's a really good friend and like that doesn't that feels way less like gossipy as opposed to like delighting in it like oh my god did you hear like oh you know and just like the the nature of the gossip like is it good not good natured but is it malevolent or 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 benevolent you know and so or somewhere in between and so like you kind of have to look at it in a case-by-case basis but you know we're human beings and when like news happens what are we gonna all and we all know that something's happened or like two of four of us like we're gonna say something yeah well I was with um with like some work people and I said something and someone seemed shocked that I said it and the other person goes oh if you tell Lisa something you have to be ready that she will repeat it and it felt like shit in that moment like I didn't like hearing that but in that moment I had to be like you're right yeah like I have been telling you all this stuff about all these people but this I thought everyone would know it was just me being like hey do you have your weed with you and we were at war and he was like And then it ended up being fine because we're in creative pursuits or whatnot. But um, he seemed shocked in that moment. And I ended up apologizing. But the person who said it was just like, oh, yeah, if you tell Lisa, like, you have to be ready for it to go away. But I have one friend who it really bothers her. And because of that, I don't repeat anything she tells me ever because I know how she doesn't like it. But that's a good example of the of communication happening. Hey, it's not cool of me if you do this again. It's going back to the late thing. Also, it's like you can be perpetually late and that can really bother one person. And the person can say, listen, I get that this is kind of who you are, but it doesn't fly with me. And then that you at least give that person the chance to respect that boundary in you. Right. And like nine times out of 10, the person will rise to the occasion, you know, or at least make an effort to rise to the occasion, which I think is the important thing, right? Yeah, I have a new one. Like someone told me something and I really can't repeat it. And it's been killing me like it because I'll be with other people and the topic arises and I'm sitting there and I'm just holding it being like, this is going to cause more problems. Do not say anything. Do not. But it's really been like, it's hard. It's like, I've uh, not even hard, but like folk, what's the, um, an effort it's it's taken effort well that's a very good use of your effort actually yeah. it's really good to train to, to to you know to work on flexing that muscle um and just keep reminding yourself of the of of the reality like if i say this this is what will happen this will be way worse than if i just didn't say anything like do yeah. i want to be in the position where i'm the one that said this um and then really sit in how that feels, you know? No, it like, it would suck being called out for it because yeah, no. Yeah. You don't, I guess you don't want to be called out for your most toxic trait all the time or be known for that thing. Um, but it is what we all enjoy. Like I just, I'm a big Bravo head. Do you watch Bravo at all? Okay, because you mentioned the book, like, The Rupture and Repair, and that's all Bravo is. It's, like, conflict and conflict resolution, and that's why the housewives that don't do well don't know how to resolve. And I, when she wrote that, I'm like, I bet she likes Bravo shows. (laughs) Yes. It's it's actually funny. Um, I'm pitching a show to Bravo called Friendship Therapy. Like, and we want all the Bravo cast, like, like, 
<laughs> on it. Well, who are your dream duos, you would say? I mean, obviously, Teresa and Caroline, but they're not coming, so... That would be my number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I don't even... I mean, we have... I, uh, I mean, I can't send you the deck, but I... Yeah. <laughs> that would be me sharing too much information, but I have... A but this would be huge. Yeah, exactly. Because these people need help, but also the editing, because I know someone... I was just talking to him this week. His... This might give too much away, but his uh, wife is on a reality TV show, but his opinion's always like, you don't even understand the editing. Cause I like this other person on it. And he's always like, she's a fucking terror. She's this and that. And I go, no, I'm sorry. I don't believe. And he goes, it's editing. And I guess they're, you know, I don't know what's real or not. Do you have any Beverly hit? Like, what are you into right now? Do you have Beverly Hills, like Kathy Hilton, Erica, Lee Serena, Kyle opinions? I don't have really opinions. I think they would all be excellent for the show. I just yeah. Yeah, that would all give good show, good, good friendship therapy show. <laughs> Cause my thing is like, I think Kathy did something fucked up, but I think Lisa Renna is just like, does, isn't actually affected by it, but can't fucking stop. And I, st I stopped I'm done with team Kyle. I used to always defend her and I'm done. I thought the way she treated Garcelle at the reunion was just like, unforgivable but yeah it is editing you're like yeah I, it is I, I mean I think you know who's good at apologizing Margaret Josephs from Jersey she's always there to be like you're right I shouldn't have said that I apologize always actually yes. editing or not that goes a long way like when you're just it that's to me the sign of unless you're apologizing when you've really been really wronged like if you're the person that's like let me just get through this and say i'm wrong that's not the right move but if it's like you realize you've got at least a you know a part of the blame it's really the this sign to me of the strongest ego in a good way like a strong as healthy ego of being like listen you're right i i fucked up i won't do it again hopefully you know they'll also try and hold the other person a little accountable or the other person will then feel like less defended and take a little bit of the responsibility but I, it, to me, it's the power move to be able to say, like, you know what? You're right. And I'm sorry. Or, or reflect on it and come back and say, you know, I really thought about it. And I should have done that a lot better. I could have handled that a lot better. Yeah, I was really hurt by a friend recently. And when I confronted to talk to them about it, all I wanted was for them to be like, that was really bitchy. I'm so sorry. I don't even know why I did it. And it was just excuse and excuse. And then they flipped it to be like, I can't believe you'd think I would do that. <laughs> it's like, just a sign of a very, very weak ego, you know, an ego, like weak ego strength, like where they can't, they can admit nothing because it feels like, you know, then they're less of a person when really like admitting coughing up to like reality is the sign of like a healthy strong person you know what I mean we're all flawed we all make mistakes we all say things we shouldn't have definitely um so own that that's like the power position right yeah but the thing is I did end up forgiving her and being like fine with it but she wanted to get right back to where we were and I was like I just don't trust you like I did like I'm I need more time and they were not willing or able to be patient it was very much like do you not want to be my friend anymore like what's going on and I'm like no I like you enough but I don't trust you anymore like it was a big violation and I can't I can't rush it but like if I see you at a party let's hang out maybe we could do lunch but it's like yeah I'm not gonna I don't trust you anymore I, I don't know what to do about that well I'd stand your ground. I'd stand your ground on it because that's your instinct that's your intuition and if a person can't 
reasonably see, I mean, I don't know the exact situation, but it, again, like that person is not coming from a piece, a place of personal strength. And you want to be around people that are leading from that place, not like defensive every it's always somebody else's fault or gaslighting I don't know what you're talking about what do you mean you know that's like probably even the worst just like you come to a person and you're like you know this really hurt me and it takes courage to say these things right because we're not used to saying these things in friendships right it's like so it t- takes courage to be like hey you said this this hurt me this this really affected me and to have the person be like I'm what do you mean like oh I don't know what you're talking that happens all the time and then you feel like a crazy idiot like Oh, did that not, you know, and like, of course it happened. That's why you're talking. No, I'm just glad that you mentioned the like, it does take a lot of work because we don't do that. Yeah, it's taken me like years and years of fully focusing on it to be able to even go, this is bothering me. (laughs) Yeah. And then somebody just completely like shuts you down or is like things, you know, as again, like, is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, are we not in the same relationship? Did we just not have that interaction? Like it, it, you know. Because, like, we got to get in reality here. Like, I'm not crazy, and I'm telling you about my feelings. So they're my feelings. You hurt my feelings. I don't care what your excuse is. Say I'm sorry for hurting your feelings. Like, at a bare minimum, right? Like, you don't even necessarily have to... You should take responsibility for everything that led up to that, right? The, the, The other person. But if you can't do that, if you're too fragile to do that, the bare minimum is, I'm really sorry I hurt your feelings. Right. Like regardless of what my intention was or blah, 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 blah. Like that doesn't matter what your intention was. I just told you you hurt my feelings. Right. So apologize for that. Like it's the bare minimum. Yeah, that's one of my big housewife pet peeves, too, is when the pe- when people are like, what? Everything's fine. And it's like, you know, it's not fine. Stop or stop. Say stop speaking like this. Wendy does this now where it's like, I said, I forgive you. And it's like, this isn't you're actually being more right. <laughs> like smug and weird about it. Oh, yeah. Pass- it's, it's passive aggressive. It's like I said, everything's fine. You need to let it go. But meanwhile, everything in their demeanor suggests they definitely have not let it go. <laughs> So how did your friends react when this, when you were writing the book, research it, and then when it came out, like, did you have any fallout from the book itself? I did not have any direct fallout from the book itself, um, because I talked to everybody that was, might've been able to identify themselves in the book. Um, you know, we talked about it and that was actually a really great exercise, you know? Um, but what I did have a little bit of a falling out, not a falling out, but definitely like friction with a couple of people is like back to the celebrating your success. Like I sent a couple of advanced signed copies, like before they went out to like really good friends. And it was amazing just watching like how some of them were like, oh my God, and posting on Instagram and like, you know, regramming all of my things leading up to the launch. And then like a couple of those people were like, no text, like, thanks for sending me the book, nothing on Instagram, not even like a like on like, you know, the, and I'm just like, this is wild. This is literally a book about like the importance of female friendship and celebrating one another and well, blah, blah, blah. And like, you can't throw me a like, this is wild, you know? And so, and it, so I started to like really track it and you know, it, 
I had a couple of like kind of tough conversations. We we didn't know friendships were ended in the making of this book, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, there were some tough, con- like I did call it out and it was, again, it's like hard because you're like, did they have reasons? Oh yeah. No, not really. Now they were like, Oh, I did. I feel like I did. I feel like I did like that. I, feel, I was like, well, we can go back and check. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you definitely did it. And it's like, that, that's the, and I was like and also that's just like the bare minimum of like what like there are people that like went so above and beyond and I know not everybody has the bandwidth for that and not everybody's on and, and like uh, what they both said was well I'm not on Instagram in the same way that like you are and I was like you definitely are because I see you like liking random celebrity posts that you don't even know you know what I mean I'm like you're throwing like Emrata alike but not me I'm like we've been friends for 15 years you know what I mean like it's just well even a text because the Instagram is a bad excuse when you could be like just it's honestly opening a package taking a photo of the book and going way to go way to go congrats you don't even have to you don't need to read it I would love it if you did but like you don't need to give this book is amazing you don't like I'm not asking you to like say that but say congrats like some acknowledgement it's like ridiculous you know was any of it competitive based or like did you get to the root of what it was like you said like that thing with a friend with the lateness it wasn't about the lateness is there like was did anything come up one of them was definitely like a competitiveness it was definitely a situation where it was like yeah it's just hard for her she's like she's like super successful but is going through like a slight dip like it's not even it's it's just like you know what it's not like nothing bad but I think like this book hit right like when as she was kind of going into this slight dip and I think that it just like really subconsciously just like Bob you know was like I can't deal with that like you know I, I, I I'm not you know that's what I would guess that was the other one was harder, though, because the person was like, oh, you know, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm just so I've got this going on and blah, 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 blah. And, you, and it just like feels like that's kind of been the excuse in our relationship for like a while and like not like longer than the book. And it kind of is like, listen, friend, these relationships take commitment. Like you got to you were, you're where they're committing to each other in this. And that means you've got to carve out a little energy. And I don't care how overwhelmed you are like I always say, like, I feel like there's nobody that's doing more than I am. Like, I, I, so I don't really get that excuse. You know what I mean? I'm like, if it's important to me, I'll make it happen, you know? And it not necessarily in a big way. I'm not like, but like throwing a like on a post is like, I can't think of anything that takes less effort. (laughs) You know what I mean? Overwhelmed or not. So that was more like looking at the landscape of that friendship. Whereas the other one was more like, okay, she's feeling shitty, I guess, about what's going on with her life. I still think that totally sucks. And also, like, the degree of shittiness is not that shitty, like, relative. You know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, that's the big, um, that's the big fork in life is most of my most successful friends are miserable and, like, unable to actually enjoy their success oh yeah totally all my most of my clients as you know as a therapist so are you taking (laughs) clients daily yeah and is it it's not friendship it's like general therapy no I do have a partner that I uh do like French like therapeutic like friendship workshops with so like friend couples because or even like a friend like an individual that's having struggling with somebody can like 
come to like the workshops, but no, like the one-on-one clients are funny enough. So, so often these people are talking about friendships and irritation with friendships, like when they're talking to me, you know? So, but no, it's not directly, it's not directly, um, well, yeah. And the big thing that you mentioned with the girls, and I think we all know is like, we're taught to gossip about each other and not tell each other the problems and move it along. Like it can also be emotionless, like just be like, this thing bothers me. And it's, it's so hard to do. What the fuck? Right. It's just practice. We just got to get yeah. used to doing it. Like I was being interviewed, uh, right when the book came out by Maria Menounas and she, so we had this great interview and she said to me at the end of this thing, she was okay, Aaron, Aaron. I've got this friend, really good friend, like friend for a long time. And I kid you not, the last 10 times we've made concrete plans, like date, place, time, like not like we should get together, but like this, you know, real plans. Without fail, either the night before or the morning of, um, she'll send me a text being like, oh, so sorry, I can't make it. And she goes, look, look. And she like holds up her phone and she scrolls and she goes, do you see, do you see? And I'm like scrolling, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, what do I do with this friend? And I go, well, Maria, I've got news for you. You're not in a friendship with this person. You're in some kind of weird relationship, but a friendship takes commitment, right? And let me put it this way. If you were starting to date a guy, like a new guy, and you made plans a couple of times, she's like, oh, it would be done after the second time. And I go, exactly. Because we understand that if a guy that you're dating to, you know, a couple times in a row or three or four or five, it is like bailing on plans, I'm out of here. It's just a collectively kind of like agreed upon. No, I go, how many times are you going to let this woman make plans? Are you going to make plans with this woman until you were like, this is insane. And she's like, this is crazy. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, cause we're used to talking about these things in romantic relationships. Like if you sat down with your girlfriend and said, well, he has these canceled plans five times in a row, your girl, every girlfriend would be gone. Okay. It's finished. Like adios. Bye. But we don't talk about this in terms of friendship. So it's just like, well, I guess I'll just keep making plans, you know, until I have like a crazy overreaction and start screaming or just ghost this person. And like, those are the two options available to us, like that feel normal. What we've got to make normal is talking about this and being like, listen, hey, I noticed you've canceled the last three or four times. Uh, I doesn't, I don't feel great about this. I'd really like to see you. Let me know if there's like, you know, like, let's talk about it it's not that big of a deal because sometimes like the other person also is just not aware. They're just like, they're not keeping score in the way you're keeping score. Cause they're the one canceling. So they're just like, Oh shit, I've got this. I forgot. I'll cancel. Oh shit. So like drawing awareness, it doesn't even have to be that big of a deal. And then the person goes, Oh my God, I didn't. Oh my God. I feel terrible. No, that's totally not what my intention was. But meanwhile, you've spun a narrative in your head that's like, she hates me, she's trying to, you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, that's just, it doesn't have to be a big, big deal, address it. And then if you address it and she gets all like defensive and like, you know, starts flipping it around, okay, well that's really good information to have. And then you, now you need to start making a decision, right? But there, we put so much on these things only because we're just not used to like doing these things. They're, it's all in our head. We're not used to taking action in these relationships, right? So. Once we get used to taking action, it's like all of a sudden this stuff is like no big deal. It just feels like a big deal until you've done it a couple times. Yeah, I wrote this down as you were talking, but it's like I wonder if it's also our idea of loyalty and what loyalty is in a friendship. And like, why would you just keep sitting and taking it like for years and years? And it's like, I don't know. I just don't get it. Well, it's just I mean, because you don't it, know but... what to do with it. 
Because it's like, you feel like if I say something, like, maybe it's going to sound so extra. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, like, uh, like maybe within these relationships, we don't really, you know, if these just aren't the kinds of relationships where we say stuff and it's like, that's ridiculous. You know, it's like, of course they are. Uh, the definition of like a good relationship is something that's alive and always a work in progress. And like, it can't just be like coast, 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 and then like melt down or ghost, you know? Unless you're okay, because you like there's like distinctions in friendship. Unless you're fine with them not being close, and then it's an acquaintance, and then you get happy when you see them, and that's that. Like, you don't have to make plans. Exactly, and that's just more the awareness piece, like that I talk about in the book. It's just like knowing, like, kind of what the landscape of the people in your life are, so that you can like put your energy towards people in a different way, a more intentional way. It's not about necessarily going through your contact list with a machete, just like weeding friends that's not what this is about but it's like just getting really clear on who's your life who's in your life and where most of your energy should go and then like yeah you've got that kind of outer tier ring of people where it's like oh I'm super happy to see this person I never really want to make plans with them but if they're at a party I'm at I'm really happy to see them just like knowing that that's the role of that person in your life all of a sudden you freed up energy there's like way less expectation and it's just happiness right and a lightness and then like the kind of more ride or die, this is more labor intensive. This is like, takes more, gives more in the perfect, you know, situation. And that's, that's where you need to put most of your energy. Yeah. But, and then this was my big, um, one of the, my big issues was like expectations and managing them, wanting too much from a person. And if they didn't do this one specific thing that I wanted them to, then like go fuck yourself forever. And, um, I lost a lot of great people that way but they've slowly become more like acquaintance or party friends or work friends. And I get to enjoy them in this healthy, fun way without being like pissed at them for these things that they just, that's not going to happen. And I just saw one of those friends this past week and I was like, Oh yeah, this is so fun. And towards the end of the night, I was like, Oh yeah, you're annoying. I remember, (laughs) like, I remember what my issue was from our daily hangs. Um, But that was my big thing. It's like I expected acquaintances to act like friends and wanted everyone to do all these things because it seems like it's insulting or something. But yeah, there's but what do we call them? Like, that's what sucks. The word friend is so bastardized. And but you don't want to call someone an acquaintance because that seems not warm at all. But I guess that's the word. That's I I think that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. My thing, how I organize is like, would you be invited to my wedding or not? If you had a, I have, if I had a small one or a big one, are you coming? And if you're not, you're an acquaintance. If you're coming, I guess you're a friend. Exactly. You're just, yeah, exactly. And I liked that you talked about like the difference between popularity and friendship and like being liked isn't actually the goal of all this. It's being seen as your true self. And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough. Because our goal usually is popular. It's like high school movies. Like you want to be popular. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, how many friends does she have? Oh, she's popular. But the thing is, again, like if the goal is to be liked, you're just spending a lot of energy and that's not a real relationship, right? Like that's not, you want to be seen, right? For all that you are, especially in that, like, you know, the, the really important tight relationships. And so like liked is, it feels like such a, 
such a disposable term in that context. You want to be seen, you want to be understood, you want to be heard, you want to, you want, and you want to deliver all those things for the other person as well, because there's a great value in that too, right? Being able to provide that for somebody else. Um, that, and you have all of those things and then ultimately it feels good. It's about feeling like being liked is nothing like it's, but feeling a certain way within the relationship. That's the goal. Yeah. How, did you have a big wedding? No, I got married at LAX. <laughs> no. Yeah. Wait, for why? Uh, you know, I, it's kind of a long story, but basically my husband is French. And um, so his green card, I mean, his visa was running out. And I'm not like a big, I'm not really the marrying type, but, you know, I made some practical decisions that I did not want to like celebrate it in a way that like did not feel authentic to me because I'm not, I'm happy, like so happy to be a guest at a wedding, but like the idea of me walking down and I was just like super cringe. Like, so I was like, yeah, I'll do this. I'm happy to do this for the reasons, you know, that we're talking, it has nothing to like, doesn't change my feelings. Like just to love, of course, love you. We already had a kid together. Like it was, but it was more of a functional thing. So I just kept it real low key. So why LA? Is there like a justice of the peace there, or like yeah? Sorry, okay. LAX, like the courthouse. I didn't go. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I like, sorry. I say that like everybody's gonna know. No, there's a courthouse. There's an LAX. Okay, the closest cute. one. It's literally the co- closest one in my house. Okay, well, because um, at JFK here in New York, there's a TWA hotel, and it's like the revamped um, Pan Am terminal, and it's like a 60s hotel, and there's a pool, and you can swim on the tarmac and like watch planes take off. That is so cool. Yeah, sunken lounge and like um, they have old um, flight attendant outfits and kind of like a museum too. But I was like, I wonder if people get married. And I made friends with the bartender, and he was just telling me about the families that get married there. So I was like, oh, maybe LAX has something. No, it's cool not like nearly that. that. Not nearly that cool. <laughs> it was literally like like on certain floors, people were being arrested. <laughs> we were like being, and I was like getting like married on one of the floors <laughs> do you guys entertain in the house yeah mm-hmm. and is it always like the same crew are you switching it up like who, what kind of parties are you guys having well we used to have great parties like pre pre the kid like very big very fun um like very memorable parties since since my son and covid we've gone like I was actually just talking to this, uh, talking about this with my husband, like how antisocial I am now. Like I'm so, it takes so much to even get, even if I'm invited, it takes me so much to like get there. Like, so yeah, there's just been a real shift. And you know, what's funny talking about first friendships and like how family models friendships for you, for us, like I grew up with a mom and dad that were like super social and always like th- they had a really tight group of friends. They always were throwing dinner parties and like like smaller parties. And I thought that like that's just what you do. Like if you know when you have friends. And so my whole life, like up in like mid twenty, mid to late twenties, like that's what I was doing. And I was like throwing these dinner parties and like it would exhaust me. And I remember like, literally I had a startup called leaf TV, which stands for living, eating and fashion. We used to do these like how to videos of like how to set up dinner parties and how to like, and 
it was so much of like my MO. And then I remember having like a meltdown one Friday afternoon in Whole Foods, like buying stuff because I was having a dinner party. And I was just like, I hate every possible aspect of this. I do not like grocery stores. I'm like a fine cook, but I don't like, I'm not like, like in the kitchen, like, you know, making love to the ingredients and it's just exhausting. And then I was like, so obsessed with like people being like, that was the best. What, you know, that dish was the best. I made the best time. Like that was what I was like looking for. And then I kind of, as I, as I said, I kind of had this meltdown on, on, at Whole Foods and I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this? And you know, after the reflection, I was like, because my parents were extroverts and that's just the way I thought like people went out in the world that were like, were liked and well liked and had a healthy social thing. I'm not that way. I'm an, I'm an introvert. I want to stay by myself. I don't want to entertain anybody. Like, and so again, like just, I didn't have a, I had a great upbringing and my parents had great relationships, but the way they were in the world with their friends was not the way I was meant to be in the world with my friends. I'm very much now I know a one-on-one, -on -one, like, let's go have a quiet drink, like situation, like not big parties, not whatever. And so again, like really good information to have about yourself. You know, you've got to look, where did you come from? How did it start? you know, what were you taught? Does that really speak to you now as an adult, you know? Hell yeah. Cause that's where a lot of my shit talking, I think comes from. I'll just go down um, my notes. Well, I have a few, well, you mentioned having your son and pregnancy and all of that. And something in your book that I was pissed on your behalf. I don't know if you, I hated your two friends that kind of stopped talking to you when you mentioned that you were pregnant and like, they were mad that you didn't tell them that you were trying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it really bothered me oh boy the the fertility thing is like a whole can of worms I'll say my quick thing before I find out really what happened with those friends but like what happened I have two the two friends that are no longer in my life but both of them did this thing where because I don't want to have children it's not for me and I saw that in one of your, one of your <laughs> sketches. It was very funny. Yeah. It's just, um, I've, that's like, since I was a kid, it just wasn't really my vibe, but two of these people, it's like, well, you wouldn't understand. You don't get it. But then at the same time, they were upset that I wasn't more supportive or there for them. And they were like, well, why weren't you there for this thing? And I was like, what? Like, because you know, this and that and that. And they were like, well, you just wouldn't even get it. I guess you just have to talk to people that like really get it. And I go, okay, then why are you mad? I wasn't there for you. Like, do I get it or not? And it just like irked the shit out of me. No, it's a real, and it doesn't, it's not, it won't make you feel any better, but that is so about them. It's so oh, about yeah. their own fear and their own ambivalence about having children. And, you know, because anybody that's like, I want to have kids a thousand percent. It's, it's like, if you really reflect on it, right. It's like, this is terrifying. Well, this fundamentally changes my life. Do I want to fundamentally, you know, there's built in ambivalence. That's just a projecting of, you know, you're clear that you don't want to have kids and they For sure. But that you're so clear and comfortable in that decision. But not only about that, but we share tons of friends that have kids and I'm in, in, in all of their lives. Like, I'm a, I've been supportive of tons of friends going through this for years and my sister. So it's like, it is also this thing of like, it has nothing to do with my ability to be there for you or not in this moment. Like I get, 
I get what I'm, I get it. You, but it's like the dig that they like of just like, you don't even understand. It's like, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't, what do you want from me then? Right. Exactly. And that's why I chose, that's why I'm choosing what I, I mean, making these choice. I don't want to understand. This feels like. And one of those friends was never there for other friends who had kids, honestly, more like annoyed and dismissed and outwardly be like, well, I don't want your children there. Like was really a bitch to our friends. And then all of a sudden it's now mom of the year. Yeah. And to me, it was also like, you were annoying while you were trying to get pregnant. You were annoyed when you were jealous of our other friends having kids. And now you want attention for being pregnant. And it's like, I can't do it. It's always something. And I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that's just, it just has everything to do with her. And she seems very self self-centered and has her own shit to work out. And that's when you can, should you have the opportunity and the right to make a choice on this? And it sounds like you made the right choice. Yeah. But for you, were, was it your friend's own personal stuff? Like, were they hurt because you weren't sharing this private thing or like, was it about what was it? Cause no, it was just about, it was just about them. It's a very similar situation. And one of the two friends, we were able to work it out after a couple of years and the other person, that was the last time I ever spoke to them. I just can't believe such a cutoff. It's, I, I honestly, it does feel crazy. It, I, it, I will just say it's like the hotbed of infertility is like, it's, it's wild. Like, it's very hard to predict. I think, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I could go into just the psychology of like, you know, the psyche of what happens if you, you know, want a kid and then freak, you can't do it. It's just like, it starts to like cripple you. But many women have gone through that and they don't take it out on the other people in their lives, right? They And, and so like, as you said, like you've got t- tons of friends with kids and it's like, but these two have a particular reaction to you Whereas you've operated very fine with a, with a whole slew of other people. Like it's not your problem. It's their problem. And so it's the same thing. It's like, yes, it, do I recognize that it's a very, very, um, very tricky, very, very like painful situation. If you want to get pregnant and you can't get pregnant, but it's nobody, it's, you know, how, how you, how you deal with other people in your life says a lot about you. Cause again, like so many people are going through this, but they're still reasonable and kind or commute or communicate a lot on how they're feeling and keep the other person like abreast. Like, cause maybe you don't know what it's like, but they want to share with you how they're feeling about what they're going through. And that's totally cool. You know, as long as, or if your friend was able to tell you like, this is too triggering for me right now. I'm happy, but I just can't talk to you. But like, I was really shocked reading it. There was a few things that I was very mad at your friends about. I would say (laughs) outside of this, I also the dress situation. Oh yes. So basically you needed a dress for a wedding. Your friend who is wealthy, you know, has money, not struggling, says, I have the perfect dress for you. She says, you can have it. You can tailor it, have at it. And then wanted you to pay for the dress after she gave it to you. And after you already sent it to the tailor. Right. Yeah. I, that makes me upset. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. That's the other thing. When you get money involved in the mix, right? Like very 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 hard 
you know, some people you can just say like, oh, let's split the check. And some people have their calculators out and yes, but why didn't she tell you ahead of time? Like, I'm going to it's expensive. Can you pay me for half? Like, is she that wealthy? She doesn't get the not everyone just has 500 to spend randomly. Like, and if she said you can have it, it's like, I don't. Are you guys still friends? Uh, Yes. So the dress didn't break stuff. It was like you were fine paying for it and you were like, whatever. Well, I just I was like, again, it's like the money of it. I I just was like, I can and it was probably the wrong move. I I can quash this and just pay this. And like, I don't want to have these conversations about money. That's definitely the wrong move, I would say. You know, it's like you want to be able to say at least that you've said your piece and said, listen, this isn't the circumstance under which you gave me this. I will pay this money, but let me be clear that this is not the, this is not, you know, this is not the circumstance of what I took, you know, when I, when I took the dress for you gave me the dress, you know? So like, cause you've also got to walk yourself down the different conversations. Like if you just say, I'm not paying for this. Right. But it's already at the tailor. So you can't, it's like, you can't give back the dress. You can, but it'll be a different dress, right? How does that conversation end? Or how does that situation end when you say, well, I'm just not paying for it, right? Well, it ends, you know, you can guess it's going to end a certain way. You can say, I'm going to pay it, but let's be clear, that's, this is not, I did not accept this dress under these conditions. I'll pay it just because I, I don't want anybody out there feeling like I owe them $500. Um, or you can, I don't know. But are they, do they read the book? Did you send them a copy? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, you had another friend cut you off because of the, um, you went out to eat with your friend. Suddenly, Chris Pine approaches, joins you guys for a meal. I can't even believe it. Um, what a hottie. And then at the end of the meal, you wanted a photo with Chris Pine, which seems normal. Right. Um, I've also, I can also see your friend's point of view if that's a friend, you know, and if, but I, I can see her being like, hey girl, next time we interact with someone like that, can you not do that professionally? That's some, whatever that sparked in her. Right. Um, would have been fine, but to cut you out fully without a conversation because you wanted to take a photo with Chris Pine was like shocking to me yes well that wasn't actually my story that was a friend of mine that oh okay I love that story so I put it so I put it in I put it in the book but well I was about to be like how is Chris Pine tell me all about him (laughs) but I absolutely love that story because and my friend that tells the story is like very she's (laughs) she's like Israeli and she's, you know, she's, she's like talks with her hands and she like tells the story. And she's like, so Chris Prime walks in. Well, of course I'm taking a picture with Chris. But, you know, and she's anyways, it just seems so crazy because the two of them were really good friends. Like not her and Chris Pine, her and her, the, the friend that that, you know, knew Chris Pine. Really good friends, friends for like 10 years, like legit good friends. Something happened like where she just went banana, like was so, I guess, furious that she did this. And also, like, to your point about the person that's always late, this person who takes the picture with Chris Pine, that is so part of her personality. Like, it is just, it's not, like, even awkward. Like, she's just, like, she's funny about it. And, like, like I would, knowing her, I would fully assume, like, 
oh, if Chris Pine's sitting at our table, she's this, like, she's totally gonna be, like, you know, and it'll be, like, kind of awkward, but also hilarious, and, like, that's just who this friend is, and that's fine. So, but yeah, no, totally. And then, like, didn't, wouldn't talk to her for, like, months and months and months, and then they bumped into each other at, at Erewhon, and it was, like, like an arctic north wind but you know when when she saw my friend and it was uh, like shocking well yeah it's like i can sit there and be mad at all these people but we've all been there when you don't communicate what you really are upset about but i can see her being like hey next time we're in a situation can you not do that that was embarrassing for me and it would have been fine and the person and then and i and knowing my friend she would be like oh yeah my god i'm so sorry like i didn't even think about it i got caught up in the moment like he's it's chris you know whatever yes he knows who he is. He know, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. And so, yeah, one conversation I feel like could have just been not even a conversation, like one statement, you know, could have been, cleared the air on this and like person couldn't do it. Yeah. So those are, those are the ones that made me wild. But then there was one that I kind of disagreed with you a little bit and we could get into that a little. So it was like you had a group text with a bunch of gals and then you were the final one to get married. And then there's one single woman left and you sensed like resentment and anger from her. And I felt I've been on the other side of that where during pandemic, I was in a pod with all couples and their kids and the one couple didn't. And we took trip, we did everything. And then I found out behind my back, one of the girls was just like, do you think she's going to be left out since we're all like couples? And I was like, that never even occurred to me. I'm friends with all of you. I didn't feel left out at all, but you're othering yourself. And then, okay. And this happened, um, like a nut. She said that to me once she goes, well, I'm sure you feel left out with all of us. Like I feel left out with them having kids. And I go, no, I've never felt left out, but you're doing this. And then I had another friend. I've talked about the story on the pod where she made it known to me that I was the only not parent invited to her kid's party. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> and to me, I was just like, these are all my friends. I probably wouldn't have noticed or been affected, but like you felt the need to let me know I was the exception to this rule. So when I was reading that, I kind of was like, well, I wonder if the group is making her feel left out or if she's really kind of like maybe jealous or like dealing with her own singledom in a weird way. Definitely. That's what was going on. Um, the, the latter of what you just said. Yeah. And it's so funny. You just mentioned that because I had a client just last week who's single, um, all of her friends, she's like 20, she just turned 30 actually. So all of her friends are kind of like getting married and she just flew back to go to one of her really good friends' weddings and she was giving a speech and the sister of the bride was like, um, we didn't know where to put you because everybody, everybody's like, you know, with their significant other and we didn't want to, we didn't want to make you feel, you know, strange. So, so... Um, the name of the bride decided that she'd like to have you sitting at the head, like the head, like the wedding party table. Like, so the girl, my client is up there basically on a stage, like <laughs> separated from all of her friends, like regardless of them being married, you know, already in couples. And she was like hysterical about it. Like she was she drank too much at the wedding, but really got like really upset because she's like, I'm literally sitting. They put me, I'm like facing the rest of the wedding, <laughs> like the token single person. Cause they don't know where to put me because I'm not coupled up. It was so like, 
she's like, I was mortified. Like, and they were pitching it to me like, oh, how thoughtful. Like, you're up on this table. And she's like, are I'm, am I going crazy? Like, this is so embarrassing. No. And, like, and also, like, the wedding party is usually dressed similarly. So it's like all these people that were obviously in the wedding and then some loose woman on the corner. And not only that, the, the, the husband-to-be didn't want her on the thing. She Because he's like, this is so strange. Why is... Why is she here? So there was like this thing, so, and the sister's telling this to her, like, but she's like, and look, the, the, you know, the bride went to bat for you, and now you're sitting up at this table. And she's like, so now I'm sitting here, and I know the husband who just got at his wedding didn't want me here? Like, oh my God, what are you telling me? This is the worst thing I've ever heard. And then had to sit there for the, the like, the wedding, and literally she started choking up, like, during one of the speeches, but she was choking up because... She was, like, so overwhelmed, like, and, and then everybody was like, are you okay? Anyways, it's a whole thing. But, yes, that that happens, but it's, like, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with, I, you know, I said to her, people are largely ambivalent about weddings and about being married and signing up for a lifetime with somebody, and they are honestly, subconsciously, a lot of times jealous of your freedom to still make choices because they're, like, signing up. So they're, like, calling you out, but it's really, like, a representation of, like, their own fear about tying themselves to somebody for the rest of their lives and feeling 100% confident about that, which nobody really can, honestly. Yeah, I... Well, oh, I see, I personally... Maybe it's my own thing, but I was just, like, I didn't feel left out, but now... Am I like, but, but like, to me, I'm like, do you want me to feel like, is this how you see me? Like, do you see me as some sad addition to your, I thought we were friends. I thought we were all friends. I'm friends with your husbands. I've, I hang out with the husbands without you guys. Sometimes with comedy, it's like a lot of, you know, I think the gender stuff's more chill. I feel out in the regular world, like you wouldn't be hanging out with husbands. Um, but so then I got self-conscious because I was like, oh, they see like she sees me this way. Like she feels bad for me and I don't like the way that makes me feel. Right. And also totally unnecessary. Like, why yeah. would you feel bad? I'm like, feel great. Like, I feel great. We're in a fucking pandemic. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm glad to be with all of you and you all can cook and you have fun. Fr like, I'd rather be at your homes. Like, I like being at your house. But it was wild. So that was the the one thing. We have some. I feel like you have to go. I really liked. Um, I'll just tell you. I'll, well, you know, we'll we'll wrap up a little, and then if you want to talk about any enemies or anything that you had in your mind going into this before I bombarded you with stuff. But one thing I loved was like that your friendship is the thing, not any event you're at. Like your friendship and connection takes precedence over wherever or whatever you're doing or wherever you are. And I felt that so hard because like sometimes, you know, I get to go to like fun premieres or events and I bring my bestie and it's like, oh, we could also be at our favorite happy hour spot. And so that really, like, I loved that you wrote that and it's like, oh yeah, the things don't even matter. Right. No, totally. It's the time together and the energy together. Yeah, nothing going on is bigger than our bond. I really Stop. liked that. <laughs> oh, that was like sweet. But you also had like the things that you're looking for in friendships that I thought and like different types of friends. And I, I really enjoyed those distinctions a lot. 
I'm trying to find it all, whatever. But, but you know, they have to get the book. But you know what I'm curious about? You know, you said this to me multiple times when I was like, I really didn't like the way someone said that. And you're like, well, it's more about them than me. And sometimes I feel like that's a cop out for myself. Like, is it ever about me or is it always just everyone just projecting their own shit all the time? Honestly, mostly it is. You know, you, when somebody says something really true about you, it just hits different, right? You, If you're paying attention, it feels different. Like, it lands in a way where you go, oh, fuck, I did fuck off. Yeah, like the shit talking. Yeah, yeah. It, that it, hit it me hit where you. I knew. You ju- right. <laughs> you just had to meet it like, ah, that that sits in me. That I feel that in my body, you know, that kind of thing. And then you have a friend telling you you just wouldn't understand and about, you know, kids and like da-da-da, and it's just not hitting you. You're like, yeah, this is noise, you know? And like so much of it is noise. It never settles into your body because it does... It, it shouldn't it because it's not real it's not it's about the other per- it's it's really active in their bodies it has nothing to do with you but having said all that it's still hard to take people's projections all day long you know what i mean and what do you do with that that's why everybody needs a good therapist <laughs> because it is that's just hard like that's what we're out navigating right all this persona-based living and it's like how do i how do I take all of this energy and still have good friendships and meaningful friendships and <clears throat> that's kind of the work Dude, I'm writing that down. Taking people's projections all day is, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. People say crazy. Can I tell you, you're going to be shocked. I've said this on this pod so many times, but I was outside the comedy store with a pal. I'm not going to say friend because we've changed the language, but like a great acquaintance. And he's about to leave and he goes, isn't it funny that I don't even care about this place because I have a wife and kid and this is like all you have. Like a person just said that to me and I'm like, And I knew it. I knew it was about him and not me where it's like whatever you need to tell yourself about your life. But I was just like, yeah, so funny. What are you saying? And people (laughs) will say shit like that to me all the time or like your life must be so hard alone and traveling. I'm like, I don't know. I kind of like it. Like I do sometimes feel at the end of at, at the end of some stuff. I do. Yeah, no, I mean, and and that's a great example. I think that's just so wild. But I mean, you know, the comeback to that is like, oh, man, you need a therapist. You know, I mean, it's just you you just do like that's just so it's so inappropriate to say that like the zero social cues on that. But, you know, the first thing I say is, oh, he's obviously in a wildly either unhappy with what's going on at home or he's in a big fight like right now with his wife or you know, his child has just been diagnosed with something, you know what I mean? And it's like that clinging and that need to like put somebody else down or marginalize somebody else to like reassure himself that what he has is still solid and going to be there when he pulls up in the driveway, you know what I mean? Or, you know, puts his key in the door and it literally, I mean, it's a crazy thing to say to someone. Crazy. It's wildly <laughs> it's <like> inappropriate. <laughs> it's like spectrum-y, you know, even that, even that, like, I feel like there's more social cue involved with somebody that's on the spectrum than something like that. I mean, that's just something that, like, I mean, how do you even respond to that? You know what I mean? I don't think I did. I think I just laughed and was, and then I've been talking about it for years and just being like, can you believe the shit people say? You said um, one thing that sparks something that I think is really important and you talk about this a little, but the need and I think like the necessity of having diversity in your life and diverse friends and 
I'm so lucky I grew up in a place where I knew so many different types of people. Um, and I think that's helped me in my adult life, but you know, you don't want to token. You said this, like, how do you find friends that are different than you that are not like you that are, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm here to make black friends. You're black. I'm going to be extra nice to you. So what is that journey for someone that doesn't have diversity in their life, but like wants it, craves it and knows it's necessary, but not, but it is creepy. Right. Well, the first thing is, is to like, again, you got to start with you. You've got to start like looking at who's in your life critically. And if they all look like you and sound like you and have the same experience of you, what you have created is like an echo chamber. Right. And you definitely want to have a couple of people that have the same kind of upbringing or story because they kind of feel like home. Like you can, they understand you in a way that like, you know, somebody that has a totally different upbringing doesn't. Right. But you, they can't be everybody in your friend portfolio. And so, you know, what I think was one of the most powerful things of friendships is that they unlock different parts of yourself, right? The way you interact with different people unlocks different parts of you, right? You kind of really open the aperture on your own, like, personality, on your own growth journey with these friendship interactions, right? And so if they're all similar, you have a very limited growth journey there right because they're all unlocking the same thing so you want to get you want to have a, a, a kind of a again a diverse portfolio of people in your life people that have a different upbringing people that have you know different beliefs different sexual identity people you know anything there's so many ways we can be different, different age right like if everybody's 32 or to 35 in your life whoa there's a whole breadth of experience for somebody that's like to have a friend that's like 50 or a friend that's like 20 you know and it's like brings a totally different perspective and brings something different out in you but again, you don't want to go out in a tokenizing way and be like, check, black friend, check. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is having a genuine curiosity about people who are different than you with no necessarily like label on it. Like, oh, I want to I, I want a queer friend. I want to I want an old friend. I want to. It's just being curious and, and really reminding yourself to be curious. So when you walk in the room of, a, a you know, a room you've never been before or a room you've been a hundred times before looking around the room and just seeing energetically like I'm open, I'm curious about people whatever finds me in this room and whatever I find in the room and just being open to it because a lot of times we don't even realize that we have this kind of implicit bias already just built into us where we're just literally looking for people that have a shared experience with us right and so just again just the awareness piece of that of like oh this is who's in my life I feel like it could be a lot more dynamic I want to get curious about that just like saying that to, to yourself opens up channels of energy I think that starts to become magnetic to bringing different people into your life and then you've got to take that opportunity you know and so that's what it's really about I like that where it's open to the experiences and meeting the people but you don't get to like be like that's my friend like <laughs> you can't demand they like you back or like want something with you like be open to it and see where you're energetically connecting with people and when you have a curiosity and say wow it's amazing how all of a sudden you start to people just start to like kind of appear out of like that you ordinarily would not see all of a sudden you're seeing people in a different and drawn to people in a different way and then yeah okay when this will be the last thing but you mentioned this about like you know every group of friends unlocks something new within you and you're like uh 
a thing. And um, you mentioned in the book, like one time you met, you mixed your groups as a kid, your camp friends and your regular friends, huge disaster because you're different with each group. I keep talking about one of my friends throughout this all. Um, and it's the same fucking friend who I'm, I'm so glad is not in my life anymore, but she did not like mixing friend groups and it was, and we all kind of found it weird, but then it's like, yeah, you're hiding part. You're, you're revealing different parts of yourself to different people, but you kind of framed it in this good way. And my friend group kind of really shamed, like hated that about her, that she's so like, you can't hang out with my friends when we liked, I like meeting people's college friends. I like that. And so is it a personal decision? Is anything like good or bad? Like what, what I is think it's the a mixing? personal decision? I mean, you know, it is what happens is you see is like, if you start cross, you know, cross pollinating friend groups, you lose control of the narrative you've been trying to have with these individual people. Like all of a sudden now they're talking and Oh, like, and sharing stories about you or, you know, just interacting with you in a way that is different than you. So it, it, it is an awkward position, but it can be a great thing. Like it can be so freeing, you know, if you can have different, you know, different groups from different times, different versions of you meet, it can be really great. But if you have like a really averse reaction to it, and again, that was me, that story took place when I think I was like, maybe 14. So yeah, I obviously yeah. didn't have the maturity to be like, Oh, this is cool. I can handle this. I was just like, Oh my God, I've gone skinny dipping with this group. And I'm in a private, you know, private school uniform with this group. <laughs> no, that's just happened to me as an adult where suddenly I'm like, Oh, I don't, well, uh, this is too stressful. Now I'm trying to glue you all together and it doesn't fit. And it, I understand the stress, but like, um, yeah, we were always just like, why can't you just mix your, like, why are you not inviting to us to this? We're friends with these people. Right. Well, that's somebody that's very, I think, consumed with image and control, you know? You're really nailing. You're really nailing this person. And I feel like you're probably a very good therapist. You're really nailing it. Outside of the book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, is there anything else you, or where people can find you or anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh, no, I mean, you can you can get the book anywhere you kind of buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, indie bookstores, big booksellers. Um, I'm on Instagram at Erin Falconer or my blog at Pick the Brain. And yeah, that's it. Yay, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This is so fun. So informative. Did you learn? Did you feel seen? Did you have a disagreement? What are your thoughts? Am I talking about the same things over and over with anyone that'll listen? Maybe, but that's what it is. Um, I hope you enjoyed everything. Goodbye, goodbye. is a HeadGum Podcast. Anya Konevskaya is our supervising producer. Ali Kahan is our associate producer. Rochelle Chen is our engineer, editor, and producer. And me, Lisa Traeger. I am also a producer. Hello. Thank you so much, Carly Jean Andrews, for the cover art. You are incredible. Jack Krause, thank you for the theme music. I love it. Please follow me on Instagram, at GlitterCheese and at Enemies Podcast. Rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Tell us about your own enemies by emailing enemiesthepodcast at gmail.com. But really, I'd love to hear your beautiful voices. So email us a voice memo or call in and leave a message at 323-677-1943.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>